When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, first of all, I want to congratulate you. You're a genius. You picked the Texans to win. I didn't. And, of course, they did. And they're capable of winning out. Winning out. They've beaten Jacksonville nine in a row, including this season. Trevor Lawrence has had not had a great game against him in those last 70s. 14 touchdown passes and one interception. But they're capable of winning at home. And then they're capable of beating the Colts. But I think – Jacksonville is on a roll. Jacksonville, even though the game doesn't have a bearing on whether they win the AFC South, that'll come down to the last game. They want to keep their momentum going, and they'll come in and give the Texans everything they got, and they ought to win. You know, they're trying to close in on a division title, and in Indianapolis, they've gone Nick Foles. I'll bet you Foles plays better than Matt Ryan. You know he's going to play better than Sam Ellinger. It wouldn't surprise me at all if the Colts beat him. I could go either way. I do want him to get that first pick. I was thinking today, say they get the second pick. Do you think the Jets wish they had not won a game at the end of the year so they could have gotten the first pick over the Jaguars and taken Trevor Lawrence and left Zach Wilson to to, uh, Jacksonville? Uh, yeah, I mean, and that that example couldn't be playing out any worse. You know, it's not like Trevor Lawrence has been good and shown signs of being great, and Zach Wilson is just a tick or two behind him. Zach Wilson's name is being mentioned alongside Ryan Leaf and Jamarcus Russell right now, John. I think it's a, it's a it's I think it's almost a done deal. He's not back next year as the Jets' quarterback. That that team is ripe now with that roster to go get a Jimmy Garoppolo or a bridge guy or somebody and, and and try to win 10 games next year, more so than try to nurture along Zach Wilson, who shows zero signs of progress. I'm with you. This was this Titans game was weird for me. This was the first game this year where I was, I would say, completely ambivalent to whether or not the Texans won or lost. Like, I've been rooting for them in all these games, even though I know that the best thing for them is to get the first overall pick. I just there's something about rooting against my team I'm just not capable of doing except I found myself getting very close to that with this Titans game and now that that now that that race for the number one overall pick is you know it's a, it's a half game separates the two teams um, them and the Bears the Texans and the Bears I I, I really probably. I'll probably straddle the line and just stay neutral and watch these last two games as opposed to getting emotionally invested in them. I guess just for the benefit of the audience, we should lay out what the situation is with the Texans draft wise right now. And some of this, we're recording this before the Monday night football game tonight, which includes the Indianapolis Colts who are like the Texans. Um, they're they're uh, they, They've got a tie on their schedule. The, mathematically the Texans could still end up tied with the Colts if the Colts lose out and the Texans win out the Colts right now, I believe have the sixth pick in the draft. The Texans can finish no worse than sixth overall in the draft. That's the, that that's the lowest they would be picking with their own pick because there's them, the bears, and there's four teams that have four wins right now. There's only two games left in the year and the Texans only have 
two wins. Their worst case scenario is winding up in a tiebreaker with the Colts for the fifth or the sixth pick. So it's going to be a top five pick in all likelihood. If they lose one more game, it's guaranteed that they'll be picking in the top two. And the team to keep an eye on for the number one overall pick is the Bears. The Bears are the only three-win team. The Texans have two wins. If they both finish with three wins, then the the Bears are going to finish with a worse record because of that tie with the Colts. The Bears' last two games are at Detroit and home for Minnesota. So I think those are two tough games. I mean, those are both games that the Bears are going to be underdogs in. I think they're perfectly capable of upsetting Detroit, who's a schizophrenic team right now, lost to the Panthers this week. And who knows how the Vikings are going to be treating that game in week 18, John, you know, depending on the standings, would they be resting guys or not? We know the bears won't be resting guys. They're going to be playing their guys and trying to win. Presumably I'm with you. I still feel pretty good that the Texans are going to wind up with that first overall pick, but these games have some juice now, all of a sudden, these last couple of weeks from that standpoint. After the way they played Dallas and Kansas city and then beat the Titans when the Titans are in a must win game, if they won the last two to finish with a three game, Winning streak, I think uh, people would be fired up, more fired up about the offseason, the draft, the free agency, because they will think they've turned the corner. But if the Bears end up with a number one pick, you know, the odds are they're not going to take Jalen Carter or or uh, Will Anderson Jr., even though they're the top defensive tackle and top pass rusher. They need offensive weapons. They need skill position players. So they would probably trade to a team that needed a quarterback. I would hate to think the Texans would have to give up a pick to move up and swap spots with the Bears to get a quarterback like Bryce Young or be in a bidding war with other teams. With three teams in the AFC South are desperate for quarterbacks. And so you want to make sure that you've got that top pick where nobody can trade ahead of you. You know, what if you want Bryce Young and they take him and you end up in a situation like Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson? You never forgive yourself. And, of course, the Texans want to win out. Players want to win out. Coaches want to win out. But, uh, boy, when you're as desperate as they are for a franchise quarterback, if you're going to be bad, be all the way bad. Well, John, think about what it costs to move up one spot that high in the draft to get a quarterback. You know, Mitchell Trubisky, the, the Bears moving up from three to two and trading a bunch of picks, probably most famously the, the RG three trade where, um, where uh, Washington moved up a, a few spots, multiple first round picks to get to the, to the two hole there. And that's where the rubber meets the road, where these teams are like, no, we got to win. We got to win. You brought up the jets example a little bit earlier, them winning their way out of the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes. And I think it's a great example where, yeah. Okay. You want to win. But then if you wind up in a spot where you're having to trade up one spot to get your guy, probably first round pick or multiple first round picks, certainly multiple picks to move up just one spot. If someone came up to Nick Casario in week 18 and said, hey, we'll give you a first and a second round pick to lose this game this week, he would go, oh, hell yeah, I don't need to win this game. Yes, give me the because that's what you're doing. Essentially, if you're if you're winning your way out of a draft slot where you desperately need a quarterback like the Texans do, then those wins are going to cost you picks is essentially what it boils down to. You left out Trey Lance last year. 49ers gave up two ones to get him. Yep. Then they swapped ones. And right now, if he's healthy and if you think Brock Purdy's 3-0 and I keep seeing these stats – 
Brock Purdy and Dan Marino, Brock Purdy and Brett Favre, and maybe his star will fall. But right now, they're not going to have Garoppolo. He'll be unrestricted and will go where he can get the best deal. But they'll have a healthy Trey Lance and Brock Purdy going into his second year. So at least that's a positive problem. You don't have to draft a quarterback up the top of the first round. But, boy, if you got a chance to do it, do it. You get that quarterback. That's what Kyle Shanahan thought he needed, and he paid dearly to get Trey Lance, and now he's got a chance to go to the Super Bowl with Brock Purdy. With Mr. The, with with Mr. Mr. Irrelevant, Irrelevant <laughs> yeah. who has become Mr. Relevant. Yeah, no, no doubt, no doubt. Um, I guess, John, the other question before we get into the mailbag. Well, in fact, this question is in the mailbag, so I'll save it about Lovey Smith and his future um, and what a winning streak might mean to that. We'll get to that. I guess as far as the other storylines coming out of the Titans game that was pretty cool to see, three turnovers caused in the fourth quarter of that game, all caused by a rookie on defense. You had the Jake Hansen strip fumble that on Derrick Henry, of all people, although he's had fumbling issues of late, I guess, but – uh, the Derrick Henry fumble where the Titans were driving for what would have been a touchdown that would have made it a two-score game. Jake Hansen causes that turnover, and the Texans turn that into a field goal to tighten up the margin. Jonathan Grenard fell on it. But you got Hansen causing that one, Christian Harris with the interception to nearly ice the game, and then Jalen Petrie with the interception on the Hail Mary to close things out. That was pretty cool to see a bunch of rookies stepping up in that spot. It was. I think people realize the kind of talent they've got on that side of the ball, nobody's given up on Kenyon Green. Uh, the best rookie they had was, to me, Damian Pierce, offensive rookie of the year, Jalen Petrie, defensive rookie of the year. And and Derek Stingley didn't play bad. He just didn't play it. He wasn't put in a position to cover receivers and man coverage like Sauce Gardner. Yeah, no, that's – and. And that's that's why I need to see a different scheme next year. I want to see the best out of Derek Stingley. So let, let's get into the mailbag questions, John. If you want to email the uh, if you want to email the mailbag episode, it's really easy to do. Houmailbag at gmail.com. John and I do a handful of questions that you guys email in. You've been doing a great job of late. We got some good ones for today. We've only got two games left in the season. Um, so um, so let's uh, let's keep this baby going here. All right, let's start off with uh, frequent emailer Charles Honeycutt. I'm going to start off with this one because it's about Lovey. What are the chances of Lovey keeping his job after Saturday's win against the Titans? I feel like if they keep him, they need to bring in an OC and assure him he will take Lovey's job one day. Okay, so the OC needs to be a coach in waiting, I guess, according to Charles. I guess, John, just to broaden that question a little bit, as you point out, these are two winnable games for the Texans. If Lovey Smith is closing out the season with near wins over the Cowboys and the Chiefs and then the three actual wins over division opponents to go 4-1-1 and in the division, is that enough for him to keep his job? I think uh, that'll be up to Nick Casario. Casario and Lovey get along well, I'm told, behind the scenes. And, you know, D Lovey doesn't make a lot of bad game day moves, clock management. When he does something like punting on fourth and one at midfield, that's not because he's a bad coach making bad decisions. Like a lot of clock management issues, Robert Sala has them. Brandon Staley has them. That's just a strategic thing, whether you agree with him or not. But I think if they went out, they're going to keep him. I don't think that the victory over the Titan has anything to do because they lose these last two. I think he's gone. You Nobody ever is named a head coach in waiting. It's not Kelvin Sampson and his son where it's in his contract. 
And they know what they'd have to do if they bring Lovey back. They need to fire Pat Hamilton, get a proven coordinator and play caller. And to do that, knowing Lovey could be fired another year, you're going to have to give a coach a whole lot of money and a long-term contract. Yeah, my, my feeling on it, and I know there's sequencing issues with this because they're going to need to make a decision on Lovey before they make decisions on quarterbacks for next year or um, before they decide, are they going to draft one? Are they going to sign one in free agency? Are they going to wait till 2024? Whatever. Having the first overall pick will certainly provide more clarity because they control what they do in the draft and they don't have to worry about somebody jumping ahead of them to take their guy if they have a guy. And I don't know who Nick likes, if it's C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young or any of these guys for that matter. But so there's sequencing issues. I guess, John, at the end of the day, I don't want to wake up on May 1st after all the stuff's taking place. Coaching decision, free agency, draft. I don't want to wake up on May 1st and have Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud as the quarterback of this team and have Lovey Smith as the head coach. I just don't want you know, that. that. That wouldn't bother me in the least bit. You know, there's a lot of defensive coordinators that have great quarterbacks. Buffalo's got one. You got to get a good offensive coordinator, a good play caller, and a good quarterback coach. And it doesn't matter who the head coach is because that guy's going to run the offense like Pep Hamilton does. And Pep's done a terrible job and he's got to go. I don't think Lovey will be back because I don't think they're going to win out. But it's not going to be, I don't think it would be fair to him to win the last three considering the injuries they have and play well enough to win the two before that and make him the second consecutive one and done. But there's a lot of people feel like you do that they need an offensive coach if they're going to draft a quarterback first overall. And there's some pretty good defensive coordinators with quarterbacks like Justin Herbert and Josh Allen and Tom Brady. Yeah, I'm not saying it can't work by doing it that way, but I'm saying like if I had a choice, if you're asking me which way I would do it, I would say – Young, progressive, offensive head coach, marry him to a young quarterback, and then let's see what those two do together. I, I, I get it that it can work any number of ways. I understand there's no hard and fast rules, but I we've seen that way work a lot this season with you know Dayball and Daniel Jones, Kevin O'Connell, and Kirk Cousins isn't a young quarterback necessarily, but I do think he's a quarterback that needed an offensive head coach after all those years with Mike Zimmer, um, you know Zach Taylor and Joe Burrow. Um, and I know I'm missing other examples and I know there's examples of it not working too. Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray, probably the biggest one, Nathaniel Hackett, Russell Wilson, Russell Wilson's an older quarterback. I get, there's no perfect way to do it, but if I were to just come up with a game plan that just without names attached to them, I would want young quarterback and offensively progressive thinking offensive head coach, but you and I'll have plenty of weeks and weeks to debate and discuss that, um, as the, as January is upon us here.